Well, good morning and welcome to our live stream service and uh, good morning to you who are joining us even this morning for our virtual service. We are starting a new series this morning and um, this new series will be starting from 1st John, the letter that John writes, 1st um, John. Um, and the title, the, the, the sermon will be titled, Am I Really a Christian? Am I Really a Christian? Um, let us open up with the word of prayer and then we'll continue to look at God's word this morning, what he has to say to us. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we come before you as we dive into your word. We pray that you may speak to us, you may draw us to yourself and um, give us an understanding of your truth, O oh God. Give us joy in yourself that we may um, come to a true understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And we may come um, to enjoy fellowship with you um, as we walk with you um, in this life. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. As I said, we begin a new series this morning. We'll be looking at, uh, we'll be studying First John over the, the next 12 weeks. The, the title of this series comes from the, um, the title of Mike McKinley's book, Am I Really a Christian? Now, some of you may be put off by the question. You may feel like I'm putting you on, on defense. I've, I've asked you a question whether you are a Christian or not. Uh, who does this guy think he is? You ask yourself. Well, let me just ask you to bear with me as we, we go to, um, through this. I'm not trying to put you on the defense. Um, God has given us First John to encourage true believers. And the reason we're going through First John over the next um, 12 weeks is because I want you to be encouraged. I, 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 in the forward of the book, Am I Really a Christian? Um, the, 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 the writer um, of the forward gives us um, Kek Cameron. Kek Cameron gives us wisdom on the importance of, of examining ourselves. This is what he's, he writes. He says, most of us think it is wise to visit a doctor. Every now and then for an examination, it is assuring it is reassuring to gain a clean bill of health, but it is also a relief when we identify a problem before it is too late to deal with it. However, many of us live in a world of modern Christian America. In our case, it's modern Christian South Africa. We recoil at the thought of examining our lives to see if God's word gives our Christianity a clean bill of health. Yet this is precisely what Paul told the Corinthians. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul said to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? You see, Christianity is certainly more than a checklist. But at the same time, we are called to examine ourselves to see if we are truly in the faith, if we are truly Christian. We, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. When you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Cameroon goes on to say, the reality is that hell is heavily populated with people who professed Christianity but never examined themselves. Just think about that, right? Hell is populated with people who 
thought they were Christians, who professed to be Christians, but never truly examined themselves. They were not really Christians. They had false hope. So over the next 12 weeks, we are going to examine ourselves. We are going to have a spiritual checkup, if you want to say. And first John provides the checklist for our checkup. The first John gives us three main tests to examine ourselves. And it is my prayer that as we examine ourselves by John's checklist, we'll, we'll, we'll have an assurance of salvation. This morning I'd like to give an overview of First John. So what we're doing, we're not going to do an exposition of First John. We're just going to give an introduction, an overview of the book. I'd like to ask the question, why is First John in our Bibles? And I want to give three items on John's checklist. At the end of our time this morning, I hope you'll see why we've entitled, we've entitled this sermon series, Am I Really a Christian? Now the first question is, why is this text here? Why is First John in the Bible? When I study a section of the Bible, I usually ask the same question, why is this text here? But, but before I study a particular series, a section of the Bible, I, I study that entire book of the Bible. But I, and I ask a similar question, why is this book here? Why did John write this letter in the first place? And why did God choose to include First John in our Bibles? With some books of the Bible, it is hard to answer that question. But with John, he gives us the plain answer. First John chapter 5 verse 13, listen to what he says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, John assumes his readers are true believers, but he wants them to know it. He wants them to be assured of it. That's why he writes this letter. He wants his readers to have assurance. And that's why First John is in our Bibles. God wants his people to have assurance. For our scripture, this, for our scripture reading this morning, I'd like to read a number of verses from First John. These verses show us that John assumes his readers are true believers and that the main reason John writes is to give his, his readers assurance. Uh, let me read several verses to help us see this point. Just look at First John chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 with me. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the father. And again, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 20, 29, listen to what he says. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John chapter, chapter 3, verse 24, this is what he says. He says, and by this we know that he abides in us. It's verse, actually verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 
in first john chapter 4 verse 17 he says this by by by, by this love by, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment and lastly first john chapter 5 verse 13 listen to what he says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life and this is the word of god john assumes that his readers are true believers he he wants them to know it he wants them to have assurance he 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 takes his readers into an exam room and he gives them a checkup I, i too am assuming that most of you who are tuning in and who are here are true believers and i want you to have the assurance of salvation but but like john's readers we we live in a day when true belief is being challenged there's a spiritual infection all around us just as the coronavirus is spreading there's also a spiritual infection that is infecting a lot of people We, we live in a day when people are questioning a number of things about traditional christianity People are questioning whether or not Jesus was fully God. This is something that the Christian church has always fought to affirm. Today, most people believe that Jesus was a man, and even a good man, but if you say that Jesus is the Son of God, if you say that Jesus came in the flesh, then you are in the minority, usually. People are also questioning the main reason Jesus came. Most people believe that Jesus was a good teacher, most, most people would even say, would go even far to say that we should follow Jesus' teaching. But if you say that the main reason Jesus came to, was to die for our sins, then you are in the minority again. You see, everybody agrees that nobody is perfect. But if you say our sin is so bad that that will face the judgment of God, you will offend many people. And if we say that God gave his only son to die for our sins, a lot of people will say that makes God a cosmic child abuser. But biblical Christianity insists that the main reason Jesus came was to die for our sins. There are also a number of people who are questioning whether or not good works must accompany true belief. There are people who understand that Jesus had to die for our sins. But when you say that true belief will be accompanied by a changed life, or when you say that without a changed life, you can't have assurance of salvation, then people will accuse you of being a legalist. They'll say that you are adding works to grace. And there are a number of people who are questioning whether or not we need the church in order to be a Christian. You hear people saying, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I I, want to follow Jesus, but I I won't go to church. But biblical Christianity knows nothing of an unchurched Christian. I must repeat that. Biblical Christianity knows nothing of an unchurched Christian. You cannot be a Christian, a, a, a faithful Christian, and continue to go unchurched. You see, true believers have assurance of salvation. But belief in historic Christianity... As I said, it's being tested in our day. And it was being tested in John's day as well. John's original readers were living in a difficult time. 
that there was a group of people who left the, the churches John was writing to. If you look at chapter 2, verse 19, they left the churches because they no longer believed the original teaching of the apostles. They, they, they no longer believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They, they no longer believed that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. They, they no longer believed that the main thing that Jesus came to do was to atone for our sins. They, they no longer believed that true belief was, was, must be accompanied by a righteous living. They no longer believed that true belief must translate in love for other true believers in the church. Doesn't it sound more like our day? But these defectors not only left the church, they were also trying to get people who are still in the church to come over to the dark side. That they were trying to infect them with their false beliefs. Just think about this. Um, I hope this is not in an inappropriate example. Someone catches the coronavirus and they know they have the coronavirus and they intentionally go out there to infect others. That, that's what they did. They, they left Christianity. They, they left the faith, although they were not part of the faith to begin with. But not only did they leave themselves, they went back to infect others with their unbelief. And so, so, so John's reader's faith is being tested. They, they were discouraged. They were confused. They, they, were hearing people's, people comp they were hearing competing messages from different people who claimed to have authoritative truth. Doesn't it sound like our day? In our pluralistic society with competing messages all around, uh, can you have assurance of salvation? Can you answer the question, am I really a Christian? Here's my sermon in one sentence. Assurance of salvation is available to you if you truly believe. Assurance of salvation is available to you if you truly believe. And this is the message of 1 John. But if true believers can have assurance, how do you know? How do you know if you are a true believer? Is a true believer simply anybody who says that they believe in Jesus? Because most people in this country of ours say that they believe in Jesus. So the question is, are most people in South Africa saved? Are they believers? Well, John says here that there is more to it than that. John gives a three-point checklist to show the difference between true believers and false believers. John takes his readers into his exam room and gives them a checkup, a spiritual checkup. And his checkup, in his checkup, he gives them three tests. Here they are. Assurance of salvation is, 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 is available to you if you pass the theological test, the moral test, and the social test. The theological test, the moral test, and the social test. Let's take, it as, let's take a step into John's exam room for, for a checkup. Let's take a quick look at each of these tests individually. We'll, we'll take a more in-depth look over, uh, over the next three months. For now, I want to simply introduce these um, uh, three tests that John gives. First of all, the theological test. The theological test. 
the, the first test of true belief is what John Stott calls the theological test. It's like having our head checked. It has to do with what we believe. But mere belief is not enough. Our faith must have a proper object. We must believe in Jesus Christ, yes, but we must believe something specific about Jesus in order to be saved. In the Gospel of John, we learn that those who have salvation believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, when you look at John chapter 20, verse 31. In 1 John, we learn that assurance of salvation is available to you if you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In other words, there are two things we must believe about Jesus to have assurance of salvation. First, we must believe that he is God. He is God. He's the Son of God. Secondly, we must believe that he saves us from our sin. We, we must believe that he is the Christ. First of all, let's, let's look at the first one. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In, in, first John, chapter one, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we are told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words... Um, what the Bible is saying there, it says God became man. Remember in John chapter 1 verse 1, um, John reminds us that uh, um, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14 he says this word became flesh. In other words, God became a man. In First John we are told that to have assurance of salvation, we must believe that Jesus is God in flesh. First John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, this is what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, this is the word, which was God, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to you. You see, this is John's uh, way of saying God became a man. The Word became flesh. To have assurance of salvation, you must believe that Jesus is God in flesh. First John chapter 2, verse 23, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Father, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. First John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. You see, to have, to, to have assurance of salvation, you must believe that Jesus is God in flesh. Friends, brothers and sisters, not everybody who claims to believe in Jesus believes this. Do you know that the number one common denominator in all the, in all the cults in the world, do you know what that is? Well, all the cults deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny that Jesus Christ is God. Think about Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. 
Mormons deny the deity of Christ. You see, to have salvation, to have assurance of salvation, you must have your head checked. You must pass the theological test. First, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is the Messiah, the Savior. And the Christ came to save his people from something very specific. He came to save his people from their sins. When you look at Matthew chapter 1, 21, the, the people who left the churches John was writing to denied that they had a sin problem. But listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his truth is not in us. You see, in order to believe that Jesus came to save us from our sins, we must have to believe, we must first have to believe that we've sinned and that we are in need of salvation. We are told in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, to propitiate um, means to satisfy God's wrath. In our sins, we deserve the wrath of God. In other words, our sins deserve God's judgment. To have assurance of salvation, we have to believe that you have to believe that you're a sinner who deserves God's judgment. If you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. But this is good news. The good news is Jesus died for our sins. Jesus came to cleanse us from our sins. He is the propitiation. For our sins. By Jesus' blood, he satisfies the wrath of God. He took the blame. Doesn't, it, doesn't the hymn say so? He took the blame. He bore the wrath. And we stand forgiven at the cross. Many people believe that the main reason Jesus came was to be an example of how we are to live. And we'll see, it is certainly true that Jesus' life should be our example. But the main reason Jesus came was to die for our sins. He came to shed his blood for us. People deny that this does not, uh, people who deny this do not pass the theological test. And they have no assurance of salvation. You see, assurance of salvation is bound up in believing that Jesus came to shed his blood for us. Did you have assurance of salvation? You must believe that Jesus is the Christ who came to save you from your sin. And you must believe that Jesus is God in flesh, the Son of God. And not only must you pass the theological test, you must also pass the moral test, which is the second test, the moral test. This is what John Stott calls the, the moral test. It's like having your hands and your feet checked in the exam room. It, it has to do with how uh, we live our lives. As we learned in, in, in almost the previous sermons that we preached in this pulpit, uh, true faith always is accompanied by fruit. You see, our good works will not save us 
Only the work of God in Christ can save us. We are saved by grace alone, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. But we are saved for good works. And the root of true faith will produce the fruit of faithfulness. True belief will transform our lives. This is how I summarize the, the moral test. Assurance of salvation is available to you if your belief is accompanied by a transformed life. Assurance of salvation is available to you if your belief is accompanied by a transformed life. It's true. We will continue to sin throughout our lives, even if we truly believe. We saw in First John chapter 1, um, when John says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, but, but the truth is, those who truly believe will not continue to love sin. And they won't make a practice of sinning. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 to 17, this is what he says. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, we all sin. But true belief will be accompanied by a transformed life. You will no longer love sin and no longer love to make a practice of sinning. You will still sin, but there will also be a change. Living in sin will not mark your life. Instead, those who believe in Jesus will follow the commands of Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, listen to what he says. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. See, the, the theological test is the most important test because of what we believe. Because what we believe is what saves us. But the moral test is also important. How we live is another way we have assurance. Assurance. We, 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 we can't dismiss that. The, the scriptures are clear. Uh, the, true child, the, the, the true children of God practice righteousness. We know we have to come to know God if we keep his commandments. To have assurance of salvation, you must pass the moral test. Not only must we pass the theological test or must we pass the moral test, but lastly, we must pass the social test. The social test, that's the third test that John gives us. This is what John calls call the social test. It is like having your heart checked. It has to do with our love for other believers. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, listen to what he says. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And by brothers, of course, that word means brothers and sisters. In First John chapter 4, verse 7, listen to what he says again. Beloved, let us love one another, for, the love, for, for love is from God, and whoever loves 
has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how I summarize the social test. Assurance of salvation is available to you if your belief is accompanied by a transformed love. Assurance of salvation is available to you if your belief is accompanied by a transformed love. Uh, most people who claim to have faith in Christ would surely agree that we must love people. But, but, but John is more specific than that. He says we know that we have eternal life because we love the brothers. Who, whoever loves uh, his brother has been born of God. This is speaking about love for other believers in the church. As I said earlier, there are a number of people these days who love Jesus but hate the church. But as one writer says, you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. You, you can't love Jesus and hate the church. It's a contradiction in terms. First John chapter 5 verse 1 says, everyone who loves the Father... Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And the local church is the context in which we love those who have been born again. There are many people who claim to be a Christian but who have no desire whatsoever to be involved in the church. This is what I usually call middle class Christianity. A Christianity that is keeping to yourself. It is not true Christianity at all. One of the things that have been um, encouraging me throughout this time of the lockdown, even though we have not been meeting as a church for a couple of months now, is that I would, I would um, especially our elderly, I would have messages week by week asking me, are we coming to church? Are we coming to church? That reflects a true love for the church, a true love for the saints and love to fellowship and to hear the word of God and to come together. You, you cannot call yourself a Christian and not have a longing to fellowship with the saints. I, I know uh, at the moment we are unable to do that. But, but my question to you is, this period of the lockdown, do you see it as whew, we're not going to church? Or are you stricken with grief that you can't meet with the saints? What is your attitude concerning this lockdown and the fact that we're not meeting as churches? Are you relieved or are you sad? I have a question for those people who say, I love Jesus but not the church, the middle-class Christians. How do you plan to love other Christians in a tangible way? If you want to separate from the church, how do you plan to love other Christians in God's community in a tangible way? We'll come back to this topic in the coming weeks, but for now, let me quote John's thought on this topic. Listen to what he says. He says, true Christians who come, who, who have passed from death to life, will hunger for Christian fellowship. They will not forsake the assembling of themselves together, but will delight to meet together, 
to worship and pray together and to talk together on spiritual topics while their personal relationship with each other will be marked by unselfish and caring love. This is the social test. Assurance of salvation is available to you if your belief is accompanied by a transformed love. A love for other brothers and sisters in Christ, in Christ's church. Let me conclude by saying this. Most of us think it's wise to go to the doctor for a checkup every now and then. But what about your spiritual checkup? We, we, we live in a day when there is infection all around. Historic Christianity, as I said, is being attacked from all sides. In, in this climate, we must ask a very important question. Am I really a Christian? I think the, 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 the thing that people fear at this time is catching the coronavirus. They, they do, uh, they take all measures to protect themselves. They wear masks. They, 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 they sanitize their hands. They, they, they do everything in their power to make sure that they don't catch this deadly virus. But what about spiritual apathy? What about spiritual unbelief? Do, do you care that that will not affect you, infect you? It is very important that we examine ourselves, we question ourselves, am I really a Christian? And thank God for, for John here and his exam room. I know some of you might have an aversion to any type of checklist, but John's checklist is really helpful and biblical. Here we are given a checklist of some basic marks of true Christianity. We are given a theological test, a moral test, and a social test. And these tests are designed to give Christians assurance. And this is the message of 1 John. Assurance of salvation is available to you if you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you believe, uh, if, if your belief is accompanied by a a transformed life. And if your belief is accompanied by a transformed love, as we step into John's exam room for a checkup over the next three months, I pray that you are assured, you are reassured, and are given a clean bill of health. But if the fact is that you are actually infected with or a life-threatening spiritual disease, I pray that you will be, it will be identified before it's too late. You see, throughout the history of the church, there are many stories of people who thought that they were really Christians, only to realize later in life that they weren't really Christians. But God got a hold of their hearts and saved them and used them in a mighty way. I think of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and Martin Luther. I suspect that there are some among you who are in the same boat. You think that you're really a Christian, but you're not. I pray that God will get a hold of your heart during our time in First John. But most of you are truly uh, believers, and I trust that you are believers. And you simply need encouragement. You need assurance. That's the main reason we're studying First John. I pray God will give you 
the assurance you all need in the coming weeks. And the assurance is available to all who truly believe. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your word that is perfect. Thank you for your word that revives the soul. We pray as we dive into First John in the coming weeks that our hearts will be revived, our hearts will be awakened to your truth, and we will truly examine ourselves with your word. 